Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. I was reading this week about a man named Chad who got totally absorbed into sports betting and he lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, lost his marriage, and the way he described it is that he got addicted to the adrenaline and that he was really just trying to find something to fill his boredom with, some kind of activity to fill in his boredom, and then it grabbed hold of him, and he could not get free. That's the thing with sin. Sin is never content to entertain us. It wants to control us. And so your story may not be as dramatic as Chad's, your struggle may not be as dramatic, but there's, there's something in your life that you struggle to get free from. It could be a food compulsion. It could be a thought pattern of some kind, maybe a thought pattern that leads you to depression or just leads you to negativity towards uh, another person. Could be um, outbursts of, of anger. There are things in your life that you have tried to change, but they just keep resurfacing. And so eventually we get to a point where we just kind of adopt a defeatist attitude and figure this is just part of me. I, it's never gonna change, it's always going to be with me. I, I wanna ask you to, to just take just a moment to think of what that is in your life. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to write this down. You don't have to share it with anybody. But what is it that comes to your mind that is a recurring habit that you just cannot seem to get free from? If I told you this morning that there is a surefire way to break free from that, to have that not be a part, a regular part of your life anymore. Would you be interested in that? That's what we're gonna talk about this morning. If you would take a Bible and turn to Romans chapter six. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one on the seat close to you. Romans six is on page 1044. If you happen to be with us this morning for the first time here in the room or online, I do not always preach from a cage. So just so you know, um, but it'll become clear, I think, why, why that's happening shortly. Just a brief recap. If you are new with us, we've been studying through this book, this letter to the Romans, and we've had five and a half chapters now challenging our beliefs. And I've said this several times that there, there are many things in the book of Romans that fly directly in the face of things, beliefs that our culture has. And we should expect that of scripture. I mean, there, there are gonna be things that the, that the Bible challenges for us. So we've been, Paul has been challenging our beliefs. Now he's gonna start slowly shifting to talk about our behavior. How do our new beliefs 
work themselves out into new behaviors. So if you're here this morning and you're imprisoned in some belief system or thought pattern, then we're gonna talk about how to get free from that. I'm gonna do something that I don't normally do, something else that I don't normally do this morning. I'm gonna give you an outline for this message and this outline has big words, okay? So I'm doing this for several reasons. One is that, you know, I know some of you like outlines uh, with big words. Um, and sometimes it's good to just change things up. The other, the other thing is, quite honestly, like every now and then I will sit down and I will study a passage and an outline, it's like it just kind of falls out and rolls on the floor and there it is. And so this is what happened with this outline. So, so here it is. We start with a natural question we follow with a forceful correction. Then we have a metaphorical explanation and then an imperatival exhortation. Do you like how many syllables are in that line? And then the favorable conclusion. All right, if you don't like outlines and you're completely lost already, do not worry because I'm gonna help us through this. All right, we're gonna start with a natural question in chapter six, verse 15. It starts with this. What then, are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Okay, that's the question that Paul proposes. Another way to say that is if we're under grace anyway, if we are made right with God by a free gift as opposed to our performance, then what difference does it make whether I sin or not? Isn't it just okay to go ahead? and indulge whatever it is that I wanna do. This is a natural question. I call it a natural question because our fallen nature wants to go there. I mean, each of us has sins that entice us. The sins that entice me are different than whatever entices you, but we each have, have something. Otherwise, we, it wouldn't be tempting. If it didn't look good to us, it wouldn't be tempting and we wouldn't engage in it or want to. Several weeks ago, we, we talked about the term original sin. And, and we see original sin show up in chapter five, verse 19, which says, as by the one man's disobedience, talking about Adam, the many were made sinners. And of course it goes on and it talks about what Christ has done to counteract that. But by the one man, Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That, that is an evidence of original sin, what Augustine termed original sin, and the definition of which is the state of sin present in each human at birth that is a direct result of Adam's disobedience to God. So it's not something that you chose, it's something that you inherited. You and I inherited that inclination. And so because we have an inclination to sin, I, it, it would be nice if we could kind of justify the sin and just embrace it. And so one way to justify it is in this question that Paul poses in verse 15. Are we to sin because we're, no, we're not under law but under grace. Paul responds with a forceful correction as we read on three words, by no means. Greek, it's two words, me genoito. We, we've encountered this already. 
Paul keeps setting up these hypothetical conversations. They're not straw man arguments. They're very real things that we think and that people sometimes say. And so he's setting up these hypothetical arguments and dialogue, and then he's countering these questions that we naturally ask with no way, absolutely not. It's the strongest possible way to refute those, those questions. So he, he used this earlier in chapter three, if you were here a few weeks ago, and he used the argument that we should not sin because we're dead to sin. He used this imagery of death and life. Now today he's gonna use the imagery of slavery and freedom. And Paul is going to tell us that freedom from sin does not equal freedom to sin. To get free from sin does not mean now we are free to sin. We'll unpack that in, in just a moment. But, but I want to just first note this, and this is really important. Paul does not argue that we should not sin because it is going to separate us from God. That, that would be a really important argument if it were true. He, he doesn't argue that if you and I fall back into sin, that we will lose our connection to God. We will lose our salvation. We will lose our position before God. We don't get into a standing before God of being justified and being right with him by our performance. So we do not get separated from him by our performance. We get into relationship, we become right with God because of Christ's performance and because of our faith in what he has done, because of absolute trust in what he has done. And therefore, that's sealed, that's done, that's completed. We can't undo that. So if, that, if we could, then Paul would argue that. He would say, don't sin because you're in danger of being separated from God. He doesn't argue that. He argues two other things. He says, no, you're, you're dead to sin. Why would you live in it anymore? And today he's arguing you're, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're free from sin. And this is the metaphorical explanation that we go into in verse, he goes into in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Um, I asked David Christ if he could build this cage for me as an imagery to show the, the limitations of slavery. That when you're in a cage, you're, you're limited in the choices that you have, the freedom that, that you have. Let's talk for just a moment about slavery in the first century Roman Empire. It was different than our concept of 19th century, 18th, 19th century slavery in the United States. It was different in this way. Our concept of slavery, our experience with slavery is that it was limited to a particular race. That was not true in first century Roman Empire. It was, all, any, it was any race. It had nothing to do with your racial background. Our experience with, with slavery is that slaves were not paid. I mean, if you want to call it compensation, which that, we, we can't do that, they, they were fed, 
and they were housed just so that they could stay alive to work another day. Okay, that's, that's not being paid. In the first century, slaves were paid. They were compensated. And then the, 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 the last difference is that our experience with slavery is that it's for life. I mean, maybe by the time you get old enough and you can't be productive in your work anymore, maybe you get set free then. But that's, that's not the case with first century slavery. In fact, people would sell themselves into slavery at times because of their debt as a way of trying to survive, and they'd say, I'm gonna sell myself into slavery, I know I'm gonna be paid, and then hopefully over time, I will be able to save enough to buy my freedom. So it's a different way of thinking, it's a different concept than what we're used to. But so, when Paul's listeners are hearing this metaphor of, of being enslaved to sin, here's what they're thinking. Slavery is something that I don't prefer, but if my situation gets desperate enough, I know it's an option for me to engage in. It might just lead to my, my survival. And, and so sometimes they will opt to present themselves to someone as a slave. The, the Greek word here, present, means to offer, to give oneself, to put at someone's disposal. I'm turning myself over to you. That, that's what they would think of with slavery. So, so his listeners would have thought, just like you and I do, I, I don't want to be a slave. I might have to be a slave, I, but um, I, what I want is to be free. Paul is telling us in verse 16 something very radical. He is saying there is no such thing as freedom as we conceive of it. Let's read verse 16 again. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? And here it is, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. See, Paul is telling us, you will be a slave of someone. The question is, who? You, you will serve someone, and, and this is vital to understanding the rest of this, this passage. Spiritually speaking, there is no true autonomy. That is the reality of our existence. Okay, I, I wanna just pause to let that sink in. Okay, if, you're, if your goal in life has been to get free, that's, that doesn't exist. But we can choose who we will be a slave to, who we will serve. Some of you will remember something that Joshua said, standing on the edge of the promised land. The, the people of Israel have come out of slavery in Egypt and they have wandered in the desert for 40 years, and now they're right on the edge of going into the promised land, and Joshua, at the end of his life, charges them. He says, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. You can serve those false substitute gods, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Paul says we have to serve somebody. The question is, who will it be? Will we serve sin or will we serve righteousness? Will we serve sin or will we serve God? If we choose sin, which is our default because of original sin, original sin in our lives, remember that the term original sin has nothing to do with the first sin in the garden. It has to do with the sin that comes from yours and my origin, original sin. It's from our origin, from our birth, we are predisposed to sin. And because of that, our default is to serve sin. The end of that is death. That's what verse 16 says. If you serve sin, it leads to death. But the good news is that you can get free, you and I can get free from slavery to sin. Let's read on in verse 17. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. All right, so I'm just gonna dramatize here a little bit when this says, having been set free from sin. Here's what that looks like. It's that easy because of what Jesus has done. We can get free. And then we can shed the prison garments because they are hot. All right. We're done with that. And what does it say? We were once slaves of sin, having been set free from sin, verse 18, and having become slaves of righteousness. Okay, I'm wearing military attire for a reason. It's because when we step out from being enslaved to sin, we're not just free, not free to do whatever we want, but now I am a slave, as it were, to, to God, I am under God's authority. As a military person is under the command of his commanding officer. We could also talk about the fact, and this is a total aside, this isn't in Romans, this, this is not what we're talking about, but we could also talk about the fact that we're in a spiritual battle and that we should be engaged in war against the, the enemy. So we could talk about that, that's a whole another message. But the, the, the similarities that I want you to see between being enslaved to sin and enslaved, as it were, under God's command is that a slave is under the absolute authority of another person. So slaves don't get to question what they're told to do. You just do it. That part is the same. Here's what's different. The nature of the one that we serve. The nature of the master that we serve is night and day different from serving sin, which is bondage. We See, we move from bondage to a bond. We move from bondage, which is characterized by control, coercion, exploitation, to a bond. Now we have a bond with our commanding officer who we trust and hopefully come to trust more and more and more because he has our best interests in mind. He is for us. 
So the good commanding officer, and I know this analogy breaks down in human terms because military commanding officers are not always for the good of their people, but a good commanding officer and God as our commanding officer is not just about the mission that he's about at your expense. He is about his mission, but he is also for you. And he is for your best as he calls you to carry out his mission. I have to take a moment here and point out that the world that we live in has a completely different version of this whole narrative and this whole illustration and this picture. The, the, the world has a picture that God is the one keeping people in a cage and that we are trying to get free. What we need, what humanity needs is to get free from the constraints of God telling us what to do. And then we get to be free and we just do what, whatever we want to do, whatever we have no limitations, whatever we think is best. Let me, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and I'm, I'm gonna venture into the topic very carefully and very sensitively of gender dysphoria. Okay, I wanna be very careful about how I say this, especially for anybody who's listening, who's experiencing gender dysphoria. The message that the world gives us is that God's definition, the scriptural definition of man and woman is too restrictive. It's a cage. And you need to break out of it so that you can be free to embrace whatever it is that you feel. And here's what I wanna say very sensitively and very carefully. That that, that is a lie. And that the God who made you, who wants you to submit to his authority, wants what is best for you. And that by stepping out from the constraints, I, I need to stop pointing to this because God's constraints and limitations are not a cage. They, they are actually what brings us freedom. They are what defines us. And so, it, it, let, let me just acknowledge as we're talking about this, that we as Christ followers have not handled this issue very well at all. And we tend to handle this issue with a lot of fear and a lot of attempt to control. And we just wanna tell this person who's struggling, you're wrong, and here's what God says. And we need to meet people in their dysphoria with compassion and kindness and truth as Jesus came full of grace and truth. And so the Lord prompted this thought to me this week, and I'm just gonna say it, and I don't know what's gonna happen here, but this is, this is the phrase that he gave to me. This is for someone who's listening, who's dealing with gender dysphoria. This is not for a Christ follower to weaponize and use against someone and say, look, this is what's true. So if you do that, you do that on your own. You're not doing that because I endorsed it. The phrase that I wanna encourage for anyone who is dealing with gender dysphoria is look down and bow down. Look down, and I'm not saying this to be crude in any way at all, look down and see how God made you because he made you 
You're not a random collection of something that just happened. He formed you in your mother's womb before you were born, and he decided what your gender was going to be. So look down and see what that is, and then bow down and say, God, I am a mess on my inside, and what I feel like doesn't line up with what I look like, and I need your help to sort through that but I'm gonna bow down before you and I'm gonna acknowledge that you know better than I do what I should be. And I'm gonna trust you to heal me through that. Back to Romans. And in, well, before I do that, let me just summarize what we're talking about here is we, we don't become free from slavery to sin to then do whatever we want, to some kind of autonomous freedom. We become free from the slavery to sin to become slaves to God, to come under his authority. And now Paul gives an imperatival exhortation. Don't you love that? That's a lot. That's a lot of syllables if I didn't count them all up. But verse 19, Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. What he's saying there is, I'm giving you this slavery freedom analogy because you're, you're honestly just a little bit spiritually dense. He, he was saying that to the Romans. He was not saying that to you, okay? Anyway, um, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Here's the, here's the command. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. There's that word present again, off, to offer, to give yourself, to put, your, put oneself at someone else's disposal. So live like you're liberated is what he's saying. Present yourselves as a slave to righteousness. Live like you're liber li liberated. There was a command last week that was really similar if you were with us in verse 16. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So last week, we could say, live like you're dead. Live like you're dead to sin. Today we're saying, live like you're liberated. You're liberated from sin and now under God as your commanding officer. What does this look like in real life? What, what does it look like to present ourselves as a slave to righteousness? Well. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. Every sin we commit involves a body part. So some sins we commit with an appendage, some sins we commit with our brains, our eyes. Every sin we commit involves a body part. So putting what, what we're saying is to put your body parts at God's disposal instead of at the disposal of sin. So back to our gambling example at the, at the very beginning. So Chad, as he's struggling with his, his sports betting addiction and he's pulling out his phone to make another bet, stops and says, God, I present my, my hand to you. I present my fingers 
to you that are about to make this transaction. God, I put my fingers at your disposal. You could even say, put, uh, God, I put my phone at your disposal. I'm a little reluctant to say that because I don't wanna reinforce the idea that our phones are like any more part of us than they already seem to be. But it does seem like they're attached to us quite a bit. So it's appropriate, I think, to say, God, I, I present my phone to you. I present my laptop, I put my laptop at your disposal. How would you have me be using that right now? That's a, that's a practical, everyday decision to make that quite honestly we'll need to make over and over and over and over again. That's not a one-time decision, especially if this is something that has had a hold on you for years or decades, you're gonna have to make that decision over and over and over again. But what you're doing is stepping into the reality that God has secured in justification, making you your standing before him is to be right with him. Now you're beginning to experience that in life in sanctification, that's, that's the difference. Justification is being right before God. Jesus accomplishes that fully for us. We, we cannot do that for ourselves. He accomplished that by his sacrifice. So justification is being right before God. Sanctification is living right before God. And you can't have sanctification until you have justification. You, you can't experience living right before God and being obedient to him until you have experienced becoming right with him through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul is now shifting his focus from our beliefs to our behavior. How does this work its way out in our lives? Look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Eternal life. I hope that sounds familiar and brings to mind for some of you who have been around our key verse from Romans 1.17. Say it with me the one who by faith is righteous shall live, shall live. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life, which is not just talking about what happens when you physically die and pass into the next life. Your eternal life begins immediately on your regeneration and your justification before Christ. In order to experience all of this, sanctification. By the way, sanctification here in verse 22, first, first instance of that in the book of, of Revelation. Sanctification just means to be made holy, to be, to be purified, to be set apart, to be more like God and different from the world. Sanctification has to do with being different from the world around us and this is really exciting. Sanctification has to do with being different than the previous version of you. Sanctification means that you and I can change and be transformed and become free from those things 
that we can't get free from on our own, but cooperating with God, we can begin to walk in freedom from those things. In order to live differently, we have to think differently. Okay, remember chapter six, verse 11. We saw this two weeks ago. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We might also say in light of our passage today, so you must also consider yourselves a slave to God and to righteousness and free from slavery to sin. We need to think differently. We need to believe differently in order to behave differently. And and this is not self-help, okay? This is not read something in a magazine that's somebody's opinion and idea, listen to something on a morning talk show. This is not self-help. This is help yourself to God's truth. Help. Help yourself to God's truth. There's plenty of it. There's a lot of it here, and we need to wrap our minds around that so that we are transformed. And all of this leads to the favorable conclusion. Verse 23, many are familiar with this verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. There's that life again in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Life, life is what our benevolent commanding officer wants for us in the midst of carrying out the mission that he has called us to. All right, so brief summary here of Romans so far. Romans 1 to 3, about halfway through chapter 3, is all about condemnation, universal condemnation. Halfway through chapter 3 through chapter 5 is about justification, being made right with God. Now, Romans 6 through 8 is about sanctification. Justification is about being right before God. Sanctification is about living right before God, living like you're liberated. And it begins with this. God, I present my fill in the blank to you. Whatever that body part is that that keeps dragging you into sin, God, I put my blank at your Disposal. That's where it begins, is offering ourselves, bowing before our commanding officer, putting him in charge. This, by the way, we, if you've been here the last few weeks, this is the same thing we've been saying the last couple of weeks. We're just using different words. And why is that? Because it takes us a while to get these things. It takes us a while to live into them. And Paul knew that, so he's just repeating it for us. I wanna give us a moment just to be still before the Lord, and you, we're not writing anything down, we're not saying anything out loud, just bow your head and and fill in the blank. Well, bow your head, but you might have to look at the screen again. How would you fill in that blank? And would you pray that in these moments right now to get started, and then you can repeat that prayer as often as necessary as the week ahead comes. Thank you, Lord, that you are a good and benevolent 
and kind and loving commanding officer. You're not just a good, kind, loving grandfather who, who sits in heaven and kind of winks at our sin and just says, ah, that's not that big of a deal. You're, you're a commanding officer and you are calling us to obedience. You are calling us into your service, but you're not a commanding officer like, like sin is that wants to control, coerce, exploit us. You are for our good. And so we are grateful for that. Grateful that you set us free from the horrible ravages of being slaves to sin. And Lord, now we wanna offer ourselves to be slaves of, of you and to experience your provision for us, your kindness toward us. We, we pray this and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.